Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Shira Boss, who is the editor of a book, uh, the writer of a book called Green with Envy, A Whole New Way to Look at Financial Unhappiness. Welcome to the show, Shira. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about your background before we get into the content of the book. Tell us a little bit about uh, you know what you've been doing and, and your career leading into writing this book. Well, I've been a journalist for, say, 12 years or so, um, focusing a lot on business and financial issues, um, which is what led into the book because I realized you know there was one thing we weren't talking about, which is the social side of our money, and I can go more into how that came about if you'd like, but um, but that's what I ended up doing. Uh-huh. Okay. So uh, the, the thesis of the book really is that people have a lot more financial problems and issues than they're uh, really willing to talk about. Um, yeah, it, just, it's really like what we see and what's really going on behind the scenes just doesn't match up. <laughs> and, you know, it's always been that way to an extent, but it's gotten much, much worse recently. And I really wanted to look at that, you know, starting it with my own story and us looking at our next-door neighbors, and then I went kind of deeper in other people's stories um, to show that you know, just, there's a lot of mythology out there and mystery in terms of, you know, what we think's going on with people's money and how they're affording things and how they're really doing it. So why is it that people don't want to uh, talk about their money, their, their real situations, whereas they're willing to talk about almost everything else about their lives? Yes, the money taboo, the last taboo. <laughs> it's, um, you know, we associate money so strongly with success and failure that it really is our measure, unfortunately, um, as Americans, I think it really is our measure of how, we, how successful we are. So if we have any... Um, weaknesses or financial stress, and, you know, in fact, most of us do in some form or another, um, we're really reluctant to expose that and talk about that because we make we think it makes us feel, you know, less successful or even like failures. Um, and it works the other way as well. I mean, a lot of super wealthy people don't want to talk about having money because then it gets into the fairness issue. Um, as Americans, it's so important to us that things you know, work the way they should, and, and this is a meritocracy, and we want to get what's coming to us and also know that other people work for what they have. So a lot of times um, the wealthy are reluctant to discuss money as well. So there's, like, some discomfort, you know, there, too, that needs to be talked about and understood. In the first uh, chapter of this book, which is a, a Warner uh, book, by the way, a Green with Envy, uh, you talk a little bit about your uh, neighbors. Uh, so without going into the entire story, just kind of give us a, a general idea of, of kind of what you thought of the neighbors, what actually the situation was, and kind of how that affected your view of how people see, see money. Yeah, I think, you know, this is like garden variety, <laughs> keeping up with the Joneses, um, and at least noticing what they have and, and talking behind the scenes about how they have it. So what happens is um, our uh, next-door neighbors moved in. We heard they paid cash for their apartment. And they're our age and similar educational background, kind of similar income level. And we just couldn't figure out, you know, how can that be? Like, again, it's the fairness issue. You know, if somebody's our age and they went to college, too, and all this stuff, we kind of, and they're living right next door to us, um, we kind of want them to be in a similar situation. So my husband and I were struggling at that time. He wasn't working. We were living on my income, um, which is not huge as a journalist. And... So we noticed, you know, how much more comfortable they seemed. And the woman wore these really amazing designer clothes, and they were going to Paris for the weekend, to Tahoe, and renovating their apartment and all these things. And um, 
on our side of the wall, we just kept wondering, you know, how are they affording this? You know, how do they have a car? How are they taking these vacations? We don't get it. You know, she quit her job in the middle of it and all this stuff. So, um, again, it wasn't like keeping up with the Joneses and that we wanted to go run up our credit card debts, you know, to buy what they had. But it's just this discomfort of feeling like, what's, it's the mystery. What's going on over there? How are they doing it? Um, and I know now after writing the book that, you know, almost everybody has these conversations about somebody in their circle. <laughs> so, um, I went over and said, you know, eventually we were friends, and I said, I would love to just sit down with you and find out, you know, what is going on with your money? Like, here's what we think. Here's what it looks like to us. Um, and I'm just very curious, you know, as a financial journalist, especially with my excuse, um, what is the deal? And she was very nice, and she told me. And, you know, it took a while for her to tell me everything. But, for instance, they, you know, we heard they'd paid cash for their apartment. Yeah, they closed with cash, but it turns out they did have a mortgage after all um, that they had closed and then, like, repay a loan to their parents. And it took her a while to tell me that her clothing had actually been paid for um, with this secret credit card that her husband didn't even know about, and she'd run up like $21,000 on it, um, all from clothing. So, a lot of secrets behind the scenes there, huh? Yeah, I mean, again, it seems like none of our business. Like, what, you know, what do I care if they have credit card debt or if they have a mortgage or don't have a mortgage? But um, it does affect us. We very much you know, need to know how we're fitting in and want to know how we're fitting in. So it did make me feel better to know, you know, <laughs> what was going on with their money next door. Why were they willing to tell you all this, you think? Most people, you know, don't want to share with their neighbors these kind of things. Yeah, it's funny. Like I said, I had the excuse of being a financial journalist, and I even told, you know, I'm kind of thinking about looking into this for a book, and, um, you know, I did ease into it that way. And the thing is that people really do, it is so stressful, and it is very personal, but when you give people an excuse and when you expose yourself, like I told her, you know, we're stressing out over here, like my husband hasn't worked. You know, I told her our situation first. And so when you put yourself um, out there and make yourself vulnerable first, it's much easier for people to say what's going on in their lives. And that's what I found by writing this book, you know, and talking about what, what went on in my life. And, and I use that as entree for a lot of the families that I interviewed. I said, you know, okay, your name might not be in the book, but, you know, my name's on the front of the book, and I'm talking about what I went through with financial stress. So, you know, now tell me what you're going through. And that really helps people open up. And, you know, in your personal relationships, too, I think if you try that, it really does work when you are – honest yourself other people are honest in return in general uh, this is jordan goodman of the money answer show and my guest this hour is uh, shira boss who is the uh, author of a book called green with envy a whole new way to look at financial unhappiness uh, so let's tell a little bit more about what happened to neighbors you you've, it, it, at the beginning it seemed as though everything was fine and they had uh, paid for their apartment in cash and had all kinds of money and they were getting packages all the time of, of wonderful things um, and then kind of what happened to the relationship after you found out that they were struggling in debt and, and you know, just kind of a similar situation to yours? Well, you know, it's just interesting to us. I mean, honestly, this relieved a lot of our, like, psychological pressure to know this. Um, again, it's just that wondering, you know, how are other people doing it? What's going on here? You know, what did I do wrong? How come I can't, you know, keep up with them? Um, and when you find out there's credit card debt behind the scenes or when you find out that, you know, I thought she'd quit her job, like, just out of wanting to not work, um, you know, it turns out she was absolutely miserable in her job and, you know, tried to get it back and went to work for something else and hated it and, you know, went through a lot of stuff. I just never knew. So I was piecing together clues, you know, from what I saw passing in the hallway and comments and you know, maybe a couple lunch conversations and stuff. And this is what we do, you know, because we're not usually comfortable discussing money. We do piece together people's situations, and we're just so often very wrong about what's going on, and, and it's really... 
detrimental, I think. We really need to be more open about it and get the facts rather than making assumptions and then, you know, end up feeling bad ourselves that we're not keeping up. So what is the best way to be uh, dealing with, I guess it's the envy in the first place, and then, uh, you know, getting along with your neighbors. I mean, what is is a better way to handle it than than the way you did it first? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing was envy. You know, we're taught that it's so evil and awful. I mean, it's it's the only vice that's both one of the, uh, you know, it's in the Ten Commandments, and it's one of the seven deadly sins, and, you know, we very rarely admit, you know, we're envious of something. So I think the first thing is to really know that, you know, envy is it's not new, and it's not going away, and it's very natural, and it's very encouraged in our culture. I mean, America's, you know, the system's really based on noticing what other people have who have more than you, and inspiring yourself to, that you can have that too, that you can move up and get that. So we're very much, like, you know, taught that, that kind of to notice other people and to envy and to use that to achieve. So the first thing is to kind of forgive yourself for having envious thoughts or for wanting what other people have, and that's sort of the American way. Um, but in terms of honesty and, and communicating with people, you know, we went, my husband and I went for a couple of years basically gossiping about what's going on next door, and that's just completely unnecessary. I mean... You know, the first time we wondered is, wow, how'd they pay cash for their apartment? We really could have asked. I and mean, that scene is very rude um, to ask about money, but i just like us to get over that. I mean, I think the worst that can happen is if somebody is offended or is like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. And, you know, that's fine. But you can ask. And, you know, my thinking is, my experience is now that people talk about it um, much more freely than you think at first, especially when you tell them why you want to know. Like if I had said oh, my gosh, you know, my husband's not working right now. Like we can barely afford our mortgage payment. And we bought five years ago or whatever it was and, you know, we were just kind of wondering how you're our age, and, you know, we heard you paid cash, and gosh, that, you know, it makes us feel so envious. If I had started up that conversation, I don't think that they would have had any problem telling us how they closed or how they paid back their parents, you know? Mm-hmm. And the same thing with taking vacations. I mean, we, we, you know, here they're going to Paris, and I could have said, you know, oh, my gosh, I'd love to go to Paris. I'm envious. You know, how long did you have to save up for that um, is one way I put it now. And <laughs> someone says, oh, I'm not, because she told me later. She's like, oh, my gosh, Paris, we couldn't afford that. We put it on a credit card. Um, and knowing that would have made me le- much less, you know, wanting to know how they did it and wondering why, you know, I wasn't doing as well as they were. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really that feeling of envy that get, kind of gets you in trouble and constrained relationships between you and between your neighbors and, and other people like that. But it, it can be, you're saying it can be dispelled uh, if, in fact, you uh, kind of are more open about it up front and try to dispel the reality of the situation. Yeah, I mean, it's the mystery of it. It's it's interesting. What's new now, I mean, it's keeping up with the Joneses, noticing the neighbors, and this goes back forever. Um, but what's new now is the amount of mystery has really changed. Because it used to be that when your neighbors, you know, <laughs> came home with a new car or whatever the case may be, they really did have to pay good money for that. And if you wanted it, you had to save up and pay good money for it as well. More or less, that's how it worked um, until several years ago. And now with the amount of consumer credit that we can use and that we are using to support our lifestyle, it has just exploded. And we're talking, you know, leasing cars instead of buying cars, you know, using home equity to the max. And with home values, you know, this is no mystery to anybody. The way they've gone up has become like a huge, enormous credit card, essentially, um, and credit cards. You know, they used to be a convenience, something you used um, and you paid off at the end of the month when they first came out. And now it's become this, you know, not only an ability to use credit, but an expectation. You know, when you say, I can't afford to do something, what does that mean anymore? You know, that you're maxed out, that you absolutely can't charge it, because you know, most of us can get what we want. We just put down the plastic for it and deal with the stress later. So that's what's changed. We still go by appearances, and we still rely on appearances. And when we see somebody has something, 
you see a young person in a nice car and you think, wow, they're doing really well. They must have gotten a really good job after college. You know, things like that. And that's just not the case anymore. It's like our reality is, is you know, lagging behind <laughs> what we're really thinking. So, um, And the, the, big, of, the big secret is the amount of debt. They still have these, these possessions, but the secret is they don't have the money to pay for it and they're going into debt to do it. Exactly. Debt and also the stress that that causes behind the scenes. There's a lot of studies on this and surveys. You know, like four out of five Americans are saying that debts are making their home life unhappy. You know, 70% of us say that we're living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, these are enormous figures that say the majority of us are getting into trouble with this. So it's not just that we have debt, but it's stressing us out and we're not talking about that, and that's where the vicious circle gets going. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my uh, guest this hour is uh, Shira Boss, uh, who's the uh, author of a book called Green with Envy, A Whole New Way to Look at Financial Unhappiness. We'll be back after this. Four oh ones, stock, mortgage, retirement, wealth. We cover it all. Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. What if no was the most empowering word in the world? What if the greatest success strategy in the world was not to go for yes, but to go for no? Tune into The Courage Crafters Show with Richard Fenton and Andrea Waltz every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and find out just how empowering no can be. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Shira Boss, uh, who is the author of Green with Envy, uh, Why Keeping Up with the Joneses is Keeping Us in Debt in Many Cases. Welcome back to the show, Shira. Thank you. Now, the next area you talk about is uh, Capitol Hill, and you talk your, your uh, chapter is called Capital uh, Secrets. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's, what's going on on Capitol Hill. I mean, the general impression that people might have is that uh, congressmen and senators are getting these very high salaries. They're 
being wined and dined by lobbyists. Uh, they have huge uh, leftovers from their campaigns. They're very powerful. Um, they've got a great financial life. But what have you found as the, the reality on Capitol Hill? Well, you know, this is interesting because they're, the people serving in, in office in Washington are afraid to discuss this themselves because they don't want to look like whiners and complainers, and they have to be very careful of their image. So, you know, this is something that um, I'm kind of willing to, you know, take the fall and take the criticism for saying that somebody making, you know, a relatively enormous salary, they make about 165000 um, can still have financial trouble, and, and here's how. So, um what I found is that we really, again, it's a matter of confusing reality and appearances. So we see, um, you know, these are powerful people, and we associate power with wealth and prestige. So, you know, we see them on TV. They're making the laws of the country. We've elected them. They're, um, they're really movers and shakers, and we see them with very wealthy people, and they're, they're moving the country's money around. So these, um, we automatically think, like, wow, they're wealthy. Um, and that's just a mistake that we make. And, and also the, the news accounts you know, are very often about corruption or about, you know, a lot of the headliners are people who are independently wealthy. And there are, you know, a good number of those in Congress, don't get me wrong, especially in the Senate. I mean, I think the majority of senators really are millionaires. Um, or multimillions. In order to run these days, is a multimillion-dollar campaign usually, yes. Yeah, and when you look um, at the House, it's much more kind of the average Joes um, and people that don't have independent wealth behind them. And so it starts, and it's a good time to be talking about this as the campaigns are getting going again. Um, it starts during the campaign season, so before you're even in office. And you know, we do know it's very expensive to run a campaign. And it's not only fundraising from people and from other sources, it's also a lot of candidates put their personal money in. So first of all, they often have to quit their job. Whatever their day job was, they quit it to be full-time on the campaign trail. So now you're talking about a family living on, you know, if you're lucky, your spouse is still working or you have a spouse, and that's one income. Um, but whatever the case may be, you're losing your income. So that's something already most people cannot take. Um, and then to supplement the campaign um, money. They often like take personal loans or you know, sell things or take um, very common to take home equity line of credit or a home equity so second mortgage to put money into the campaign. So before you're even in office, and a lot of those people end up losing. <laughs> so yeah. you've gone through all that and you have debt and you don't have your job anymore and you don't even have anything to look forward to. So that's the first thing that's just not talked about. Um, when you get when you're lucky enough to get into office. It's funny because just like the rest of us, you know, sitting in our neighborhoods and our cubicles at work and so forth aren't really discussing our personal finances, um, there's not a lot of networking and information going on amongst the candidates and the people who are serving either. So amazingly, um, these families and these individuals arrive in Washington, D.C. at the first day of the job or orientation, and they don't know what to expect. They don't know what's coming. Um, and what's I mean, aren't most of their expenses taken care of? This is certainly the impression you would get that... Uh you know, they're fed, they can, all their travel is taken care of, lobbyists are giving them money all the time, and you'd think that, that the common impression is that you know, their financial needs are taken care of. Exactly, and there's a lot of misinformation there. So the first thing is, you know, there's a, again, the salary is public knowledge. The salary is about 165000 a year. That's huge. That's about three times what the median family income is for the country. So, you know, that's publicized, and that seems big, but... Um, a lot of the rest of it is misconceptions. So for one thing, they, um, there's rumors that, like, oh, you know, once you're in office, you, you get a pension for life and you never have to worry about saving for retirement all this stuff. That's just absolutely false. 
Um, they pay into a plan, you know, works like a 401k, just like a normal employee would, and it builds up gradually and, and all that. They do have to worry about their own retirement. Um, secondly, travel, yeah, travel is covered by an allowance. You know, you have an office allowance that covers your travel between your home district and Washington, D.C. Um, so that is covered, but it doesn't cover, you know, if you're not moving back and forth for business. So if you go home for a, you know, personal function, that's not covered. And if you're spouse or your children want, you know, also have a home in the home district um, and they want to go back and forth, that's not covered. So travel can be an enormous expense, actually. Um, same thing with meals. I mean, yeah, lobbyists used to take <laughs> lawmakers out to dinner, you know, five nights a week or seven nights a week, whatever. Yeah. And um, they've really, you know, cra- they have cracked down on that in the past few years. And there's been a couple different rule changes that limit that to, I think it's like $50 or something, you know, per lobbyist, per year, per person. Or, I don't have the exact figures. Um but they're getting fed a lot less than they used to by lobbyists, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's they, they really can't. They're not really allowed to accept what they used to be able to accept. They, same thing with trips. You know, they, they can't. Um, they have to disclose, and they can't accept a lot um, like they used to. So that's changed. And and amazingly, even when you're you're in the office, you know, on Capitol Hill, and you take a constituent out, I mean, this is like a business lunch, um, that's not covered out of any kind of allowance. You have to pay for your food expenses, even when you're on business, even when you're taking out a constituent. It has to come out of your pocket. Hmm. And the interesting situation, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes, again, that, that they're afraid to talk about and nobody really understands. But, you know, think about this. When you're going out with a lawmaker, wouldn't you assume they're going to, I mean, especially when you're in the Capitol Hill dining room and so forth, wouldn't you assume that they're picking up the check because... Very much so, yeah. You know, they're like the senior party there, and, and it seems to make perfect sense. I wouldn't, I don't think I would think twice about even reaching for my wallet, and that situation happens a lot. So there's an expectation that, you know, they're wealthy or they're on an expense account or this is all covered and, like, no problem, and they end up, you know, going into their own pocket repeatedly, um, even when they're on business, and that's a huge drain, you know, on their personal budget. Mm-hmm. So, um, so housing y- is another one. People think like, oh, you're, you're, you're housing in Washington, D.C., that's covered. And it's not. It's absolutely 100% out-of-pocket expense. So you've got now two households in most cases you're supporting. I mean, again, when you look at most of our budget, I mean, even if you are making a higher salary, you know, try, like, supporting a whole second household. I mean, second mortgage, second bill, second rent, everything. Um, so as a result, uh, do, do they? Uh, what, what kind of housing do a lot of these senators and uh, house people have do they have fancy brownstones and things or <laughs> right well it's funny one of the um members that i interviewed for this you know that's what he and his wife were prepared for and they um they thought the same as everybody else like we're making good money we're, we showed up in washington dc we're going to rent this nice apartment we're going to entertain and you know, ship our fine china and all this stuff and uh they took a lease on a very nice place and you know within weeks realized the expenses and they just said oh my gosh we are you know immediately borrowing money from their parents and they're like we're drowning um and they downsized immediately because <laughs> they just couldn't afford it and they realized right away they couldn't afford it and they ended up taking you know what the member described as like you know graduate student housing uh, where they had to you know fight over their their pedestal sink in the morning because it was just so cramped and kind of awful so is that pretty common for house and senate people today to kind of downsize their housing in washington it really is not only are they most of them not living in in fancy digs if they're not independently wealthy but um a lot of them room together so you know the family stays home if there is a family and the members are living together you know bunking in apartments there's this um kind of famous scenario of it's been nicknamed the Animal House with um, you know, Chuck Schumer from New York and um, um, 
Miller from California and like two others that are sharing, you know, Miller's apartment from 20 or 30 years ago that he's, you know, mortgaged and remortgaged. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, two are living, are staying in the living room. One's on a couch, one's on a mattress. You know, they, they're sharing the bedroom upstairs and, you know, they're keeping pizza in the fridge and just kind of like... <laughs> and these are multi-million dollar senators we're talking about here, like like Schumer, for example. Yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so he's, you know, he does have some money. He also supports, you know, a brownstone in Brooklyn, New York, and a family. So, um, you know, the point is he's still paying a second rent down there. And, and they're not all in that situation. So a lot of congressmen are rooming together and really trying to save on rent. There's a lot of basically boarding houses um, where the people live, where they're they're literally in a room and they're taking you know taking meals together or communally, huh. um, or in you know in kind of radical cases um, they don't have a residence there, so they only live in their home district and they fly to work and literally you know crash in their office and stay on the couch or stay on a cot and then <laughs> shower and shave in the house gym, um, which membership is extra by the way, so they they pay for the membership to the gym and. And just get by that way, and their staff knows it, and kind of nobody talks about it. And, again, constituents or other people visiting their office for meetings would never guess that this person hasn't gone home in five days, that they don't have a home there. Amazing. So when you tell people about this, are they usually surprised? Or there's this whole image of uh, House and Senate people that are, you know, just it's it not close to reality, I guess. It is. I mean, it's gossip. It is very interesting. Um the interesting thing about this chapter, and it's funny, it's the same thing kind of when you talk about people that have extreme wealth that are still kind of messed up, is that they kind of, people kind of don't want to hear it <laughs> because they, it's like old habits die hard and old impressions die very hard. And we, once you start to think of politicians as, you know, they're wealthy, they're corrupt, they're, you know, they're up to no good type of thing, um, you don't want to hear about their stresses. And the same thing with the income. I mean, just hearing that income level, a lot of people want to hear no more. It's just a mental block. It's like, look, if I had three times the amount of income, I would have no worries. You know, again, that's a common misperception a lot of us have is that if we had, you know, just 20% more money, our problems would be solved. So, interestingly, um, yeah, a lot of people are fascinated by this, especially people that just you know, love politics and love learning about it. But um, it shows you how kind of hung up we are on comparisons because a lot of people, you know, don't want to hear this and kind of don't believe it or, you know, just, you know, I don't know, think I went wrong somewhere in my reporting or wherever the case may be. So it's, it's interesting to see people's perspective on that. What uh, advice do you give? In the book, do you kind of give some advice to uh, senators and congressmen about how to deal with all the financial stresses, not only the financial part, but kind of the image uh, being out of line with reality here? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, again, it's an issue of communication because from the time you're running for office, there's no communication with people who are in office. I mean, it's it's really an amazing communication breakdown there. So there's not much discussion. Even when the um, I talked to people who had kind of mentor figures or, you know, people that had helped them get into office, people who had served in Washington for a number of years and know this. This is not a secret once you get there. Um, it's just not talked about. So... But a lot of people seem to be running for office not really understanding that that's what they're going to get into financially. Absolutely. I mean, so you start, you know, with stress, and you're just focusing on, like, as a member said, you know, we just wanted to get there. We're just focused on winning office, and that's hard enough. You know, and a lot of people just want to avoid their financial issues to begin with. So when you're doing something as time-consuming and, and life-consuming as running for public office and national office, um, you're not necessarily sitting down with your spouse if you have one and, you know, going over the budget meeting every week like the rest of us should be doing. So... I guess the impression is that after they leave Congress, then they make these multi-million dollars on these lobbying jobs, and that's where they make the real money. Is that uh, usually true? 
It's definitely more true. I wouldn't say it's usually true, and I don't have actual statistics on that um, in terms of how many do go into these high-paying jobs. Um, certainly a lot do. But, you know, an equal number, you know, go home and, and run for office again in a few years or, you know, take an academic job or um, do things that are not lucrative. So, you know, as with the rest of us, you don't necessarily, you know, just because you went to business school or whatever, you're not necessarily – Again, it's a misperception issue, you know, going to work on Wall Street and making a lot of money. And it's the same thing with politicians. I mean, they're individuals. They have individual career paths. And just like you can go to business school and end up working at a nonprofit, um, you can leave office and go into something that's not lucrative. So, you know, again, we have to start thinking more deeply beyond just, you know, public appearances and, and what we assume and, you know, kind of the rumor mill. Yeah. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my uh, guest this hour is Shira Boss, uh, who's the author of Green with Envy, A Whole New Way to Look at Financial Unhappiness. We'll be back after this. From the stock market floor to your computer, you're listening to Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The economy and financial markets continue to expand in both their size and complexity. But being able to anticipate changes in the markets for housing, jobs, and financial assets remains a crucial ingredient to our financial well-being. On The Economy and the Markets, with economist, investment strategist, portfolio manager, and host, Doug Cliggett, utilizes his 25 years of experience with that of his highly informed guests to provide clear, reasoned explanations of current events. To navigate the markets that influence our lives every day of the week, tune into The Economy and the Markets. With Doug Cliggett, broadcasting each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The economy and the markets. Clear thoughts in a complex world. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Shira Boss, who's the author of Green with Envy, uh, a whole new way to look at financial unhappiness. Welcome back to the show, Shira. Thank you. Now, the next area you looked at was uh, the super wealthy, I guess you might say. And uh, you took a trip down to uh, Palm Beach and uh, interviewed a woman uh, who, who married somebody, I guess a multi-billionaire, is that right? Right. Um, tell me a little bit about the, what you found when you uh, interviewed this woman. And, and isn't it easy if you have multi-billions of, of your life? Uh, what, what more could you ask for? Right, exactly, and that's why I wanted to include this scenario of the ultra-wealthy because um, I realized as I was reporting the book and going through it, I'm like, you know, 
a lot of these families that I'm interviewing and, and scenarios I'm discussing are people who have financial stress behind the scenes. And really the theme is how, you know, appearances and reality don't match up. And a lot of people are going to read this and say, well, yes, all these people are in financial stress, but like if they had more money, they wouldn't be under stress. <laughs> so I wanted to dispel that myth, and it really is a myth. And again, we, we say we believe, you know, oh, we know money doesn't buy happiness, and, you know, yeah, we know that. But secretly, we do really believe that. <laughs> and um, so I said, let's go right to the top. Let's go to some of the, you know, wealthiest people in the world and really kind of try to figure out again what's going on behind the scenes that isn't usually advertise it isn't public knowledge that we don't understand about their lifestyle and about having a lot of money and what that does or doesn't do for you you know beyond just saying oh it doesn't buy happiness or we all have our issues you know, i really wanted to show that through a personal story um first so, of all how'd you get them to cooperate i mean this would not normally you think they wouldn't want to cooperate with something like this yeah and i can you know i can kind of talk less about that in this case than the other cases because um you know they're not exactly an anonymous family and, and they're right. anonymous in the book so it's like there's not very many billionaires in the world so <laughs> talk sort of too much about about how I negotiated that. Um, but I can tell you that their motivation for letting me into their home and letting me interview them extensively on this um, and meet with them in, in different locations and on several occasions um, is that they agreed with me that there's this misconception around wealth and around having money and what it does and doesn't do for you. And they were very interested in um, the kind of goal of educating people about that world. And, you know, as with the politicians not wanting to you know, complain or, you know, <laughs> kind of talk about this, um, it's the same with the wealthy because they know that the public perception is so strong that, the, you know, if you have money, you shouldn't have problems, or if you have money, don't complain. And um, a lot of people with wealthy who are wealthy, you know, again, they're, they're average people. They do have problems. They have problems specific to wealth. They have problems, you know, in addition to having wealth. And it's not talked about. It's not exposed. So, again, I was, you know, I wanted to be the one that, you know, I don't care. Like, I'll, I'll go in and say, you know, this might not be a popular message, but look what's going on here. You know, look what these people go through. And um, So and what again, are some of the stresses that they're going through? You know, a lot of it, um, again, is the fairness issue is one issue because, and this comes into play with inheritors, not so much, um, or people who married into it, you know, not so much like self-made people that, that build up a fortune. I guess that's the American way, so that's very much understood. There's not a lot of conflict over that. But when you inherit money or marry into it, um, right away, both other people and you start to sense, you know, your, your fairness alarm bells go off. So you're thinking, wait a second, like, you know, all you did is just kind of be born or marry somebody and, um, and you suddenly have unlimited money. And, like, how does that work? And, again, it just makes us uncomfortable because we don't think it's fair. Um, and just like we look at people who are born into wealth and think, you know, that doesn't seem fair, they actually feel a sense of that themselves because, again, they're living in this culture. They're living in the American culture that's a meritocracy that's really based on, um, you know, success and achieving things and accumulating money, and they haven't done that. They've just kind of taken the shortcut to money, and they realize that. So, you know, they do feel a sense of, of stress over that sometimes. And it comes out, again, in their motivation um, to work or not, to have a career or not. And it's funny because so many of us complain about, you know, having to work to pay the bills and, you know, having to scrape by. And, again, there's that 70% of us living paycheck to paycheck. That's very stressful. You know, and if we, you know, went with even a month without income, that's what living paycheck to paycheck means. We'd have some kind of meltdown. Um, and here's people who just have it made for life and they don't have to work a day or generate income in, in many cases. And... So it's funny because we dream about that scenario and think about winning the lottery or, you know, being independently wealthy. And, in fact, um, 
that causes a lot of stress for people. And again, it might sound a little silly and, and people might feel unsympathetic, but when you realize how much of our culture revolves around your identity as somebody who you know, has a career and is accomplishing something or even you know, raising a family or whatever it is, but you're you know, in the loop of society and the super wealthy are a little bit out of that loop. Mm-hmm. And it causes a lot of stress when they know they kind of either don't have motivation or you know kind of don't have that drive to have a career and be successful, and then they lose that identity, um, or they try to do different things and just can't quite make it work. And there's a lot of kind of lost souls out there amongst um, inheritors. And another issue that comes up is that once you do have problems as a wealthy person, and you know the super wealthy again, a lot of them are practically household names or are very well known in their communities at least. Um, the normal avenues for discussing those even like in a therapy situation, aren't really open to you as as, um, readily. Because when you go see a therapist, I mean, first of all, the therapist is usually not independently wealthy. So again, you're going to sit there and complain to somebody that you're having a lot of issues around, you know, having a lot of money. So Mm -hmm. how how big of a jerk does that make you feel? (laughs) And secondly... um, they might know who you are. I mean, you know, again, isn't that a little uncomfortable? Like, you want you want a therapy situation that's kind of anonymous, like not somebody or who you know quote knows your family or you know might talk about it. It's just very it's uncomfortable. So it, the interesting thing there, and again, this is something that just most people don't realize, is that um, some people in this situation, some people who are super wealthy themselves, have realized this and they've kind of solved both those problems of the the motivation to have a career and. Um, and this idea there's no help for the wealthy by becoming therapists themselves. And they have these niche, you know, kind of underground practices with, you know, not very many clients but very well-paying clients uh-huh. <laughs> that, um, that are super wealthy people going to super wealthy people who are their therapist and their counselor and are, you know, on the same page with these things and they talk through these issues. And there's even a support group nationwide um, called More Than Money, which is not exclusively for independently wealthy people, but pretty much that's the circle. And... Um, and they talk just like debtors anonymous groups meet. I mean, they talk and meet and talk about themes and you know the problems they're encountering, having money and philanthropy, and you know different issues that come up for them. That again, you're not going to talk about around the water cooler if you're you know if you have a job. Uh, one of the things you talked about was the the wife in this case, Mitty, um, felt excluded at uh, dinner parties and so on. Everybody was kind of paying attention to the the big guy, the money maker, and and she was almost like a nobody because she hadn't earned the money herself. Is that a common situation? You know, it's, again, this this kind of lunchroom or schoolyard mentality, <laughs> it never ends, you know. No matter what your position in life or no matter where you are, it kind of, again, it's the American way. Unfortunately, we're just constantly making comparisons, sizing each other up, you know, trying to figure people out. Um, and it's a little bit sick, but, again, it's just how we do things. Um, so, yeah, and it's funny. She describes going on one of their um, dates when they were dating to this benefit um, in New York City that, you know, was only for the extremely wealthy. Um, and, you know, Mitty, the character in the, group, in the book, she was not exactly a Cinderella figure. Like, she had, you know, she has some family money of her own, but not on that level. So she went to this event, and she realized, oh, my gosh, looking around the room, even though there's only, you know, not that many people here, it's very much segregated in terms of how much money do you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, it never ends. You know, you're wealthy enough to be invited to this super exclusive event at the Waldorf in New York City, and yet um, there's still comparison and competition going on. You know, you're still not quite at the level other people are at. You know, so it never ends in terms of this. Um, so how would you recommend that somebody deals with that if they're in that kind of situation? You know, so few people are in that specific situation. <laughs> what I want people to take away from this is to realize in your own life, you know, solve, you know solve, your issues are not going to be solved by 
getting to that next income level or, you know, amassing a million dollars or whatever these um, kind of goals that we set for ourselves thinking that, oh, man, I will have arrived when I got there. Um, that's just not true. And, you know, I, you know, I showed that by saying, look, you know, the world's wealthiest billionaires are competing, you know, to have the longest yacht and, like, stressing out over that, you know, stressing in quotation marks. But mm-hmm. it just never ends in terms of, you know, you can do more, have more, um, get to the next level, um, within the Forbes 400 list, there's like, you know, jockeying to get higher on the list and, you know, who's number one and who's in the top ten. I mean, it just never ends. So that's the message I want people to get is, look, you know, you really need to, um, and I assume you want to talk more about these general remedies, which I'd love to, but you yes. really need to get realistic about where you are and, and start being comfortable with that and not, you know, there's nothing wrong with striving to have more. Again, that's the American way and that's very healthy for our economy and it's, it, there's nothing wrong with that. But you can't fixate on it as something that, you know, is this such a big goal in your life that it's like you're not enjoying where you are right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, j- just before we go to the break, just tell people briefly about your website and how they can find your book and what, what goes on at your website. Okay. Well, the website is greenwithenvythebook.com. And um, it's got, you know, it's got multimedia, so you can listen to podcasts. You can listen to um, interviews that I did with uh, one of the characters uh, who's, a family that went bankrupt, and you can watch a video. And um, the most exciting thing for me is there's there's an area where you can talk about your own issues. So what's going on in your life, or what have you noticed around people that's not true, or you know what experiences have you had? And um, you can add that to our our list of stories on the website called the Green with NV Files. Um, so it's very much participatory, and you know I I think it's again a big part of getting over all this is to have more information about what's going on in each other's lives, and so you can start that on the website. Terrific. Okay, again, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my uh, guest this hour is Shira Boss, who's the author of Green with Envy, A Whole New Way to Look at Financial Unhappiness, and we'll be back after this. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 
In the ever-changing world of real estate, Mark Heller and Brian Church bring to Internet Talk Radio all the latest information, trends, and changes in the real estate market. And these guys pull no punches. That's Real Estate Talk with Mark Heller and Brian Church every Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America channel. Have you ever had a bad day and wish someone could come along and change it at the flip of a switch? Do you dream of living the life of wealth, great relationships, and the perfect job, but don't know where to start? Then tune into The Winner's Attitude with corporate trainers, motivators, authors, and hosts, Jeff and Val G. No difficult strategies or complicated keys. Jeff and Val present a powerful and effective technology to switch your operating system to create the most amazing life. It has been said that winners have simply formed the habit of doing amazing things. Winners know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The Winner's Attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The Winner's Attitude. Switch me on. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. And my guest this hour is Shira Boss, uh, the editor and uh, author of Green with Envy, uh, a whole new way to look at financial unhappiness. Uh, and she's talking about how people want to keep up with the Joneses, even though it may keep us in debt. Welcome back to the last segment, Shira. Thanks again. Let's talk about some of the conclusions that you draw uh, and how this has happened to us and how people might handle uh, this whole envy uh, syndrome a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk a little bit about kind of what has happened uh, to us and how we got to the, the place we're in now. Right. Well, in terms of how we got here, we talked earlier about really what's new, you know, where we really went started going astray with this is using consumer credit. So, you know, not just the normal mechanism of noticing what other people have and wanting it, but really getting ourselves into trouble financially by using credit to match other people's lifestyles. In the meantime, they're probably using credit too, so that's the vicious circle there. Um, and not just, it's not just a problem for those of us who've gone into debt to match lifestyles and to increase our lifestyles. But it's really a psychological issue, Um, and this is what I find most exciting because there's so much you can improve about your finances and your financial well-being, you know, even before you, you know, pay off debts or make it to the next income level or, you know, whatever your goals are um, that might take months or years and years, there are things you can do, you know, today, right now to feel much better and be much more comfortable, and and I call it, you know, improve your financial well-being. What are some um, of those steps you can take? Yeah, one of them is um, your perspective. I mean, we naturally compare ourselves to people doing better. And, again, that's the American way. You're looking up. You know, you're moving up. You're not normally fixating on who's beneath you. Um, but we don't take time usually or just don't naturally look at where we are and look at how far we've come and realize that other people are envying us and envying where we are. And there's a lot of people, you know, on levels below us that think that we have a great and we have great a great life and a very comfortable life. And this is definitely something in my situation. I wish I had thought much more about this. I mean, I spent a lot of energy looking next door at the people who had more, as, as we do, and, you know, didn't walk two blocks from my apartment to the housing projects and said, okay, you know, wait a second, compared to people living here, you know, my apartment is amazing. And, mm-hmm. you know, whatever I have to do to live paycheck to paycheck, my lifestyle is very comfortable and and very nice. And again, that's something at any income level, whatever your situation is, if you have debt or don't have debt or whatever, 
that, you know, even as just as, as Americans, I mean, even people that are living in the housing projects can look at people in um, poorer sections or in other parts of the world who don't have things like, you know, water depends, and access depends to the Internet. It depends who you I mean, compare yourself to as to how it's going to come across, actually. Sorry? It depends on who you compare yourself to as to how you feel better or worse, actually, is what yeah, you're saying. Absolutely. And we need to just be aware of that consciously because we're not going to naturally compare downwards. So, you know, you can change your perspective by doing that consciously and putting yourself in those situations and thinking about that. Um, which really leads to the next thing, which is um, experiencing, again, consciously, you know, gratitude and thankful for, thankfulness for what you have and where you are. And it's something, again, you know, when we're growing up, a lot of us are taught to, you know, take every day and count our blessings or, um, or think about that or think about those less fortunate. And as we become adults and we just get wrapped up in um, the stresses of everyday life and making a living and achieving our goals and things like that, we forget to do that, unfortunately, on a daily basis. And we really need to get back to that because there has been psychological research that um, experiencing gratitude and, and doing that consciously, even for a couple seconds, um, but doing it regularly is one of the only things um, that really does have the ability to increase your happiness level. And that's very hard to do, and gratitude is one thing that has that power. So it seems maybe like very simple, and, like, it might not work, but um, they say it does work. And I can, I can tell you in my own life, it certainly does make a huge difference to realize where you are and to be thankful for that. You also talk about, for people who have a lot of debt, uh, that Debtors Anonymous can be a good organization. Uh, did you actually go to Debtors Anonymous meetings, and, and how does that work for people? Yeah, I didn't go because um, they wouldn't let me go because I'm a journalist, and they and they take, as they put it, they take the anonymous part very seriously. <laughs> so... Um, I relied on Gerald Mundus's book, um, which your listeners might know, How to Get Out of Debt, Stay Out of Debt, and Live Prosperously. And if, if you know, if, if listeners are in debt and are a little bit shy about showing up at a meeting or not sure what goes on there, that book is an excellent introduction. It walks through the 12 steps of Debtors Anonymous and what goes on, and, you know, you kind of do it, um, do it at home, you know, follow along at home, so to speak before you go to a meeting. But the reason I advise that people get out there and go where money is being discussed is because of how much extra stress the secrecy and the mystery causes for us. And, you know, if you can't talk to your friends and family or, or open up a discussion amongst people that you know, go to an organized group. And in some cases it helps that the group is strangers. Um, I went to Debtors Anonymous is one group you can look into. Another one is... Um, Dave Ramsey has a group, um, Financial Peace University. It's, it costs like a hundred and some dollars, so it's not free, but it's held mostly at churches and other workplace um, workplaces sometimes. And you found but, it really does help people then to have these go to these groups. Well, again, it's a place like I went to one in Queens. This is not my neighborhood. Um, you know, I didn't know these people, and it was actually easier for me to stand up and say. Um, and unfortunately, it was kind of after the fact, but to say, this is what my husband and I went through, and it was really stressful, and we were living paycheck to paycheck. And I just looked out, it was about 40 people, and they were nodding their heads. And it's, again, it seems like such a simple gesture, but just seeing people <laughs> saying, even non-verbally, that they understand, they've been through that, they totally know what you're talking about, it's a really tremendous relief. And so I just you know, advise people to get into circumstances and situations where you can be more open and more honest and talk about what's going on with money in your life and also hear other people going through the same thing. I mean, it's your classic kind of group therapy phenomenon where, you know, you realize you're not alone and you get a lot off your chest. And, again, it might seem like, oh, this isn't going to improve my money situation, but it really does because you see it differently, you feel better, and once you see things differently and feel better, you start behaving differently with your money, and that's when the actual finances do improve. 
One of the things you talk about in the book uh, called Green with Envy is uh, to say it doesn't matter as much. What, what difference does that make if you, if you say it doesn't matter if the, the neighbors funny. are not? Again, it seems so simple um, and almost silly, but I learned this um, in a sports psychology program while I was marathon training. I learned a lot from this, and I talked about this in the book, this um, learning from through doing marathon training, which I'm not even a runner, um, so I really had to use my head to get through it. And... Um, and they taught us something about that. Like when you're running and you just don't feel like it or the weather's bad or you, you have aches and pains and all this stuff, they're like, instead of dwelling on that while you're running and it makes you really slog through it, tell yourself, oh, it doesn't matter. So you can say, oh, the weather's really bad, but it doesn't matter. Or, you know, I'm really hurt, but it doesn't matter. And I started applying this to life more broadly and saying, um, oh, my next-door neighbors are going to Tahoe, but, you know, it just doesn't matter. Or whatever the case may be that you're either envying or you're uncomfortable about or whatever. And when you start to say that and realize it, it really does work. And, again, it sounds um, so simple, and, but I have gotten mail from readers. It's not just me saying, you know, wow, I started doing this, and it really does work. You kind of stress out less or just kind of see things differently. So, again, mm-hmm. that's a very simple technique people can start to use right now um, and just give it a try and see how it works for you and see what happens. And I think it will start to take the edge off in terms of letting these thoughts fester usually. So you end uh, your book, Green with Envy, and again, this is Shashira Boss I'm speaking to, and uh, Jordan Goodman from The Money Answer Show. You end the book with what happened to your next-door neighbors, who you originally thought were doing really well, who'd paid cash, and uh, were having this great lifestyle. Uh, tell us the, the end of the story and how it all uh, ended up with your neighbors. Well, you know, it was funny. They um, they actually moved out, and... <laughs> And after I'd kind of been through all this and, and had learned a thing or two about how to handle these things, um, so the next couple moves in. So it becomes just a total replay of the scenario. And, again, we hear, oh, you know, it's a young couple, they're our age, they're paying cash. I mean, it was just a total replay. And <laughs> we noticed, same thing. We opened our door and noticed, oh, my gosh, they've got a ton of packages in front of their door, like, you know, I thought God was testing me, like, saying we're going to repeat this whole thing and see if you can handle this time. Um and, you know, that time I really was just, my husband and I were like, you know what, we're not going to get into this again. We just, we use that, it doesn't matter. We're like, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. We don't know their situation. I don't care what their situation is. Um, and it might look like that. It might be the case. It might not. But we've got other things to think about now. So it really was um, kind of amusing how it replayed itself. Very good. Oh, this has been a fascinating uh, conversation. So if you listeners are agreeing with Envy, maybe this book would be helpful in helping you deal with that to some extent as well. Uh, again, my guest uh, this hour has been Shira Boss, uh, whose book is called Green with Envy, A Whole New Way to Look at Financial Unhappiness, published by Warner Books. Uh, her uh, website is greenwithenvythebook.com, which can give you a lot of information on this whole thing, and hope you found this uh, very helpful. Thanks so much for being on the show, Shira. Thanks for having me, Jordan. And we'll be back uh, next week. Thanks again. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.